church called Miss Lynn out. Good morning. Everybody alive and well out there? Say something. All right. (laughs) Back in the book of Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 6. And the title is, The Sufficiency of Christ. Now to be honest, the title could also be, The Ability or Competence of Christ. And as we look at that title, we look at the text, I wonder if you and I truly grasp or understand or comprehend comprehend that statement, the sufficiency of Christ. Do we honestly realize that we're complete in Christ? That Christ is sufficient for everything that you and I will ever need? We should never be attracted by the empty philosophies of men, attitudes and ideas and beliefs that promise what they can never deliver. Ever look at advertisement on TV? They make promises with that product that that product can never live up to. And then we have in religious circles people attempting to add something on to the person and work of Jesus Christ. Do you agree with the statement, with Christ you are complete? Many of us will say, amen, or yes, I agree. Then why do we live such defeated and depressing lives as Christians? It's like what we're really saying is, yes, I agree, but I don't know if God can help me in my situation. Yes, I agree, but I don't know if God will do that for me. So I'm asking you this morning, throw every pretense out the window. Open up your mind and your heart as we walk through this text, looking at as Paul unpacks what it means that Christ is totally sufficient. The Christians at Colossae in our text were being led to believe that Christ alone was not sufficient. They were being told that they needed man-made philosophies and put these traditions on top of it so they could be complete. And the emphasis that's made to them and made to us this morning that Christ has complete adequacy and competence to meet all our needs. And with that, let's look at the text. Read it together. Colossians 2, starting in verse 6. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in Him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. For in Him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in Him you have been made complete, and He is head over all rule and authority. And in Him you are also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, 
having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven all us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. He has taken out, taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him, speaking of Christ. Let's go back to the beginning of that, where he says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. As a side note, notice it says Jesus the Lord. In the Greek language, there is no indefinite article. In other words, it would never say uh, a keyboard. It's always the keyboard or not a pew. It's always the pew. So what it's telling us here is that he is the Lord. He's not one of many. He's not an option. He's the one and only Lord. And he's the one that they received. He's at the center of God's mystery. And we saw that back in chapter 1, verse 27 and chapter 2, verse 2. He's also the Lord in both creation and reconciliation. We see that back in chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. He is the Lord, not one among many. That is, <clears throat> excuse me, absolute truth. Now, if you, haven't fig- <clears throat> excuse me. if you haven't figured this out already, we live in a society that doesn't believe in absolute truth because... They want to believe truth is relative to where you grow up. Because I grew up in Manassas, Virginia. I know. I was a Yankee, but I got here as soon as I could. Because I grew up in that context, what's true for me might not be true for you. If that truth works for me, that's okay, but don't put that on me. So we we have that in our society. But I can prove to you there is a such thing as absolute truth. Very simply. If I was to climb on top of this building... And to jump off, what would happen? The law of gravity would take over, unless one of you could catch me, or if there was a net down there, I would hit the ground, injure myself, or possibly kill myself. If I take that same truth about law of gravity, if I go up to Virginia where I grew up and get on top of a building and jump, guess what happens? The very same thing. That is a very simple illustration that there is a such thing as absolute truth. The law of gravity is absolutely true for every inhabitant on the earth. You can't escape it. Well, you can if you get on a rocket and go out in outer space, you can, but that's an absolute truth. He is the Lord. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6, it talks about there is but one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and we exist for Him. One Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we exist through him. By the way, that title, Jesus Christ, it really reads in the text, Jesus the Christ. Christ is a title. It means anointed one. It means Messiah. So he talks about as you received him as Lord. So now walk, lead your life, continue to live in him. And that's an imperative. It is a command. There's no gap between believing and trusting and your ethics. Put it to you this way. 
my Christology, study of Christ, or my theology, what I believe about God, should inform, influence, and guide my ethics, my behavior, how I make decisions, where I spend my money, where I spend my time. That's the starting point. Before I even come up with what I should do in a situation, I must seek Scripture. I must pray. I must seek God and let Him guide me. Our problem is we want to come up with a response or something we like to do and then run the Scripture and pull Scriptures out of context to support that. That is wrong. So what Paul is telling them, you receive Christ as Lord of your life, as the Lord, the only Lord. And you came to him in faith. Now, you, you need to walk that out. You need to live that out. How you behave, how you talk, where you spend your time, where you spend your money. Let that be the driving force in every area of your life. And I like to tell you that I've done that every single time. But you know what? I'm human just like you. I make mistakes. But God has shown me time and time again, if I seek him first in every situation, we trust Him for the, the biggest decision of our lives. Eternity. I mean, that's a huge deal, isn't it? Where are we going to spend eternity? What we believe about eternity? And we come to Him trusting Him for our eternal salvation. He wants us to trust Him in every area of our lives. What we do for a living. Who we marry. How we treat our wives. How we treat our husbands. All that comes into play. There is no separation. I think the more we tie those together, as they should be, they make a huge difference in our lives and the lives of people around us. Now comes four participles that describe this walking in Him. Look what he says first. Having been firmly rooted. The idea of cause to take root that the roots of our faith go deep inside, deep into the soil of Christian truth. As we just sang, I am planted by the tree of water. I shall not be moved. Our roots go very, very deep. Being planted firmly in Christ, this settled state of believers, in contrast to being tossed to and fro. So when those storms hit, we may bend a little bit, but we stand firm because our roots go deep. It's when life squeezes us. I used this illustration before. If I squeeze an orange, will I get apple juice out of it? Well, no, that's, that's ridiculous. You get orange juice. If I squeeze an apple, what do I get? Orange juice? No, that's, that's ridiculous. I, I get apple juice. When life squeezes you, those storms, what comes out? That's the testing of our faith. God allows us to walk through these things to truly trust Him. And the more you walk through that, the more you learn to trust. That's why we're supposed to go around people who have been believers longer than us, people who are more mature in the faith, because they have that experience to tell us, hey, I, I've been where you're at. I know the struggle you've had, but let me tell you how God got me through it. That's the reason we meet together, to encourage each other to stand firm. Next he says, now being built up in Him. It's the idea of being established. Their growth is to be in Him in Christ. In other words, Christian faith is not a passive 
idea. It's, it's very much active. It's not just coming and, and sitting in the pew and listening to a preacher. It's about taking those principles and truth that we learn out of Scripture and placing it in our lives and then living it out. To use an analogy of a football game, these, these football teams, they, they practice time and time again all these plays. But it doesn't mean anything until they're standing on the other side of the line of scrimmage where the defense is daring them to pull out or to do what they've been practicing all week long. We can come, we can get excited, and I hope we do get excited for the things of God and get encouraged and motivated. But the real test begins when we walk out these doors. Are we going to live it out? So we need to be increasingly always growing in our faith. Look what he says next. Establish or strengthen in your faith. Grow strong in it. And he says, just as you are instructed. In other words, do not stray, drift, or wander away. Now, he's not talking about a personal experience here or your personal faith. He's talking about the Christian faith overall because the attack of the heretics, these Gnostics, were attacking Christian truth and the implications it had for life. So we need to be strong in the Christian faith. That way, we can stay united. And look what he says, overflowing. That's the word, isn't it? Overflowing. Or how about abounding with gratitude? An attitude of thankfulness. Christians, we should have an attitude of thankfulness because of the many blessings that are bestowed upon us day in and day out. And that's what Paul is talking to the Colossians here about. In fact, as we remember everything God has done. You know, I laid there in the hospital, couldn't have any visitors. I could feel your prayers go up. I, I could literally feel God moving and working, saying, you're going to be okay. I grew my faith in that experience. I'll never be the same because of it. But there's those times, almost every day of our life, something's going to happen. God wants to strengthen us and grow us. And when we remember those mighty things of God that He's done on our behalf, we should have this attitude of thanksgiving. In fact, one indicator of us departing from God or wandering away from God is when we stop having an attitude of thankfulness. We stop giving thanks. There's a uh, song out by Chris Tomlin called Gifts of God. And the, and the refrain goes, every day is a gift of God. It truly is. I mean, every day, this moment that we, we're experiencing together is a gift from God. We only have so much time. We must make the most of the time that we have. Like we said in Sunday school class, you can plan for the future, that's okay, but let's focus on the here and now. Where does God have me now? Where does God want me to do in this moment? He tells them to see to it or to be careful or beware that no one takes you captive. Once again, an imperative, a strong warning that they're to be on their guard. To stay alert, watch out for the warning stated in verse 4. Don't want someone to take you captive or carry you off as a captive or carry you off as booty. In other words, being carried away from truth into the slavery of error. And that's a very vivid term that Paul is using because that's how seriously he regards the situation. 
He understood the intentions of those trying to influence them. Now, how is it possible for a false teacher to capture people? How, how could a false teacher, if they receive Christ, have heard the gospel, how are these false teachers, these Gnostics, coming in and telling me you have to have this special knowledge? How will they fall in capture to that? It's a very easy answer. Ignorant of the Word of God. And that's, that's true for us. We don't spend enough time in the Word. We don't know what the Word says. And we become fasc fascinated by the philosophy and empty delusion of false teachers. When we do not know firmly the Christian truth or Christian doctrines, we set ourselves up to be captured away by all this other stuff going on. We have to be anchored in the truth. You have to spend time in the Word. Read the Word. Study the Word. Memorize the Word. And there are tons of helps out there to help you as you study. Learn the historical background, context of what's going on, and see how God has moved. We hold people in Scripture sometimes to such a high pedestal. There is only one perfect person in Scripture, and that's Christ. Look at some of the people in the Old Testament, some of the families. Go back and read. Do you, do you remember last week? We looked at Deuteronomy. But some people didn't want to submit to Moses' leadership. And guess what happened? The earth opened up and swallowed them all. Wow, how would you like to be there for that one? So the Bible is full of examples. I, I like David. But I, I kind of more relate to Peter. Because I, I believe sometimes I open my mouth up and insert my foot too quick. I think that's, you know, Peter had the best intention sometimes. But in the end, he, he stood his ground, became a pillar of, a, pillar of the early church. He said they were being led away or don't be captured by this philosophy, empty deception that had no substance, that led to nothingness. It represented man's attempt to arrive at truth. Sometimes they would practice magic, call themselves philosophers. They sought by rites, initiations, and magical spells to capture allegiance. He says this philosophy and empty deception, look at the text, is according to or based upon the tradition of men or human tradition. The Gnostics, what that word Gnostic means is knowledge. What they were telling them is that, look, there is some truth that's been passed down, that Jesus didn't share with the crowds. Sometimes he shared it with Mary. Sometimes it was Peter. Sometimes with Matthew. Jesus only communicated this truth to only a few people. And they would say, we have access to that knowledge because we have been enlightened. That has nowhere in Scripture. It's a product of the human mind. You have, we have everything that we need. We have Scripture, we have the Holy Spirit, we have each other, and of course our relationship with God. The Bible is relevant today as much as it was a thousand years ago. Could it be that we've just gotten lazy and don't want to go in and look? We want the quick fix. We want the answer now. See, God answers prayers. Yes, no, or how about this? But prayer is not much about changing God's mind, is it is aligning our lives in line with Him. 
We have to be careful about traditions. Because sometimes traditions can get elevated to the same level or above Scripture. We have to be careful that doesn't happen. There's nothing wrong with tradition per se to remind us of our godly heritage, but immediately when it becomes equal to or greater than the Word of God, then we have problems. We always must go back and look to see what Scripture says. He says, according to the elementary or basic principles of the world. Now, that was usually a reference to like the ABCs or the uh, basics of life. And in that context, in Colossae, they had this huge fascination with zodiac signs. They were kind of the basic things. You know, that's what guides you. In Jewish circles, sometimes there were supernatural beings. The angels and the heavenly bodies would influence people's lives. But astrology was the queen of the sciences back in that day. Julius Caesar, Augustus, and Tiberius always would consult the stars before they did anything. Who do we consult before we do anything? Who should we consult before we do anything? Should be God. But if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes you do everything but, or we go to Him at the last moment. This philosophy was not according to Christ, it was incompatible with Christ, and contrary to His work on the cross. The false teachers boasted they possessed a deeper experience, they had higher knowledge. But they preached a system of Judaism added with Gnosticism. Nothing to do with Christianity. To put it plain, it's Christ and Christ alone. No Gnosticism, no New Age movement, no secret book written that no one else knows about that the church has hid. It's Jesus Christ alone. He is sufficient for all our needs. Look what he says. For in Him, Christ, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. That means that Jesus is God in the flesh. But He's only one person in the Godhead. When He came to earth, God the Father was still in heaven. He is the God-man. Because if, if you have a problem wrapping your mind around how can He be fully human and fully... Uh, deity at the same time, well, if he wasn't, his sacrifice on the cross would be worthless. He came as a man, so he could sacrifice as a man, offer up the sacrifice, but he had to be perfect. If he's just another ordinary man, then his sacrifice on the cross is null and void. It had to be a perfect sacrifice in order to atone for our sins. In him, you have been made complete, literally full. Now listen to me. The fullness of deity that dwells within Christ now dwells within them or within you. In other words, as a believer in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. The same Holy Spirit that was there in creation in Genesis 1 which says the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. You have that Spirit in you that will guide you into all truth and convict us of sin. Also to reassure us and affirm us about being saved. See, there's no 
reason why we should give allegiance or any time to any other supernatural being. We are complete in Jesus, and He is greater than everything else. Why should we give them the time of day? You see that here in America. Maybe uh, attention to angels or to other supernatural beings. Look, our allegiance is to Christ and Christ alone. He is over all things. That's what it says. Look, He is head over all rule and authority. He is Lord and Master. Now, eschatology in times is not the only thing in mind. He's talking about the emphasis in the here and now. Remember what Jesus said? The kingdom of God is at hand. Sometimes we live like, yeah, I know the kingdom of God is coming, but it's way off in the future. No, the kingdom of God has come. How does it come? When people come to Christ and the Holy Spirit resides in them, the kingdom is set among us and our fellow believers. It's almost like, to put it this way, Jesus came and invaded the enemy's territory and delivered the final blow. He came to set us free. He conquered sin and death and gave us the victory. And He is ruling in the here and now. Not all the way in the future. He is Lord of all in the here and now. The text goes on to say in Him, you are also circumcised, made without hands. Now, obviously, made without hands, it means that God did it, or at least implies that God Himself did it. See, it, us as human beings, we're so focused on the outside, the way we dress, wash our, you know, we wash our hair and our bodies, we don't wear our stinking, which is not a bad thing, by the way. But we're so worried about the outside of things. So worried about what other people may think. But the circumcision he's talking about is circumcision of the heart. That's where God operates, is in the heart. To the motivation, decision making. See, our problem is we want to change from the outside in, and God says, no, you can't do that. I have to change you from the inside out. The law that still stands bears the fact that we can't change from the outside in. We can't keep Ten Commandments. We want to walk through that exercise again? You ever took God's name in vain? I'm the only one. <laughs> you ever looked at someone with hatred in your heart? Jesus said you committed murder. One of the Ten Commandments, don't commit murder. And we go right down the list. It says where Jesus came. Because it, be, it was a more problem with our heart and our character and that was just the outside. So God said, I'm going to change you from the inside out. The circumcision is done by Christ as He operates on the hearts of believers. Romans 2 chapter 20, uh, excuse me, Romans chapter 2 verse 28 and 29. For He is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But He is a Jew who is one inwardly, and the circumcision is that which is of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letters. And His praise is not from men, but from God. To put it into modern day illustration, I'm a member of Forestburg Baptist Church. You can physically see me. In fact, I serve as pastor. And God looks at me and says, well, that's good and fine, son, but how's your heart? 
people are looking on the outside and think, wow, you must be a godly guy. I mean, you sit up there preaching the Word every Sunday and all those other things. But the issue is, Tim, how's your heart? That's what he's driving out here. He tells him you have been buried with him in baptism. Baptism shows us that we die to ourselves. We go into the water. We're dying to our old way. We're dying to ourself. And literally, the Christian life is one of constantly dying to self, denying what you want, rather, rather and ask what God wants. In other words, a, a death has occurred. You have died. You have been crucified with Christ. The old life that you had is gone. How can they go on being slaves to sin? You were also raised up with Him through faith. The resurrection of the Colossian Christians has already happened, although it's not fully realized yet, but they are to walk in newness of life, conduct themselves as dead to sin, alive to God in Christ Jesus, behave as men who have been brought from death to life. The new life is nothing less than Christ's resurrection life that is imparted to you and I. If I'm truly a believer, I've been crucified with Christ. All those things are gone. The old, the old self is gone. All things have passed away. Behold, you are a new creation, a new creature. We are to live in that moment. Live that way. And one of my favorite parts of the passage is when he gets to, he says, when you were dead in or by reason of your transgressions. And that's a sharp contrast between their past life and their present standing with God. I was dead in my transgressions. But now I'm alive with Christ. Huge contrast there. They were dead because of their sin resulting from their sinful nature. They were alienated from God's own people. Not part of the covenant. They had not been circumcised. However, Christ changed all that. Look what it says. Have forgive us, forgiven us all our transgressions. The very reason why they are alive together with Christ is because He has forgiven them and forgiven us. Having canceled out the certificate of death, not only has God removed it, but God destroyed the document on which our debt was recorded. By the way, that was a common thought in Judaism that God kept a record of everything wrong. So imagine, if you will, picture in your mind this document, the certificate, and everything that you did wrong. All your sins listed. Christ took that and has canceled it out because He nailed it to the cross and you bear it no more. Reminds me of the hymn, It is well with my soul. Oh, bless the thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Christ is sufficient. He has taken our sin and has nailed it. And He ends in our text, disarmed the rules and authorities. He made a public display of them. God stripped them of their authority and their dignity. He has put them on public display, exposing them to ridicule, having triumphed over them through Him, talking of Christ. And that verb that's used there, Think of a huge, tumultuous parade, like a huge celebration 
you ever seen the uh, parades they put on when they run the Super Bowl or the World Series or something like that? Ticker tape parade. Triumph. He, he just didn't overcome. I mean, he just didn't beat him. He, he triumphed. It's kind of like the statement, we are more than conquerors. You, you hear what I just said? More than conquerors in Christ Jesus. I'm not quite sure if I fully comprehend exactly what the depth of that. More than a conqueror. It's all because of his grace. I think Paul had this in mind when he wrote Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. As he's writing that chapter out, I imagine he was just getting built up and built up and built up until he comes to this point where he says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, no height, no death, nor any created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. And all God's people just shout, Amen! Look at our context. Look what's happening in our country. Look what's taking place. Doesn't matter what they do. They can't separate the love of God, which is Christ Jesus. And my mission is still the same. It hasn't changed. It may become more difficult. We may spend more time on our knees. In fact, maybe that's what God has allowed all this to happen in the first place. Driving us to our knees. Crying out to him. So God, I have no idea what to do. But here I am, your obedient servant. Tell me what to do. Guide me. Show me. Give me the vision. Christ is sufficient. He is completely competent in Christ alone. I don't know what problems you have today. I don't know what's going on in your family, but Christ is the answer. When are we going to stop chasing all this stuff that the world puts before us and realize I just want Christ and Christ alone? The old hymn, just give me Jesus. You can have the world, but just give me Jesus. He is sufficient. Nothing is to be added to Him or taken away. He is sufficient to meet all our needs, and especially our greatest need, which is the salvation of our souls. He provides His Spirit to convict us of our sin, leads us into truth. God took on human flesh, he showed us the way, His example. He provided the way, His death on the cross. And Christ walks along with us, along the way with the Holy Spirit. There's been many New Age movement come across and says, I'll show you the way. I'll show you how to do this. I'll show you how to do that. Jesus Christ comes and says, I won't show you the way because I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And He showed us by example. He doesn't ask us to do one thing that He didn't do Himself. Can you imagine what it was like back then? They had sandals, dusty roads. Didn't have to take many baths back in those days. If they did, it was just with water. But here's Jesus. The cross is, He knows what's coming. Well, he knew it. That's where he came. He came to die. And he girds himself with an apron. Gets down on his knees. 
and washes the disciples' feet. The great I am, the Almighty, humbling himself to wash my nasty, dirty feet. It's much bigger than that. He washed my soul clean, took away my sin, dying a death I can only imagine how horrible it was to ridicule it. And he did that because he loves you that much. The difference between a true Christian and a merely professing Christian, a true Christian is alive in Christ, has a whole new basis for living. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 55 through 58. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord knowing that your toil is never in vain in the Lord. As we continue on in this new year, there's going to be difficulties, there's going to be challenges, but as Paul, talking to Christians in Corinth, I want to echo that same thing. Don't give up. Always abound. Keep working because everything you do for the Lord is never in vain. Seeds are planted. Lives are ever changed and transformed. You know, it's just struck me that as we look at our news and the last event, these past events, year by knows what I'm talking about. A lot of us are concerned. We should be. We should be concerned. But what a wonderful opportunity to speak the truth into a society that's desperately hurting, that's looking for the answer. Because obviously the answer doesn't come with a political figure. The answer is not in who's our president or who our Congress is. The answer comes when we say, who is the Lord of all and the Lord of my life? You want to see things change? Expose people to the truth. Tell them about the gospel. Maybe you've never done that. Maybe you've never truly given your life over to Him and embraced Him as the Lord of all in your own personal life. Come to a point that you realize you're broken God's laws. You deserve death. Christ stepped in and paid the debt that you can never pay. Maybe you do that this morning. Maybe you've done that, but somewhere along the way you've gotten confused, or maybe you've gotten hurt in a church, or someone said something. I don't know all your past experiences and can, can play havoc on you. But listen to God this morning as He tells you how much He loves you, how much He wants that relationship with you. And no matter what, He loves you. You are complete in Christ. 
you can't do anything that's going to make him love you anymore. You can't do anything that's going to make you love you any less. He loves you complete. Complete. Agape. He loves you in spite if you respond to him or not. And here's another thing. He likes you. He, after all, he created you. Maybe you need to just come and ask God if I know you can do things in my life. I know, God, you want to take this out. Here it is. And here's another thing about it. If you do that this morning, when you lay it down, don't pick it back up. I have a bad habit of that sometimes. I put my baggage down, and guess what I do when I walk out? Pick it back up again. Let it go. Lay it at the foot of the cross and trust Him that He will take care of it. He will guide you. Or maybe He's calling you to join us here. We're not perfect. This is not a perfect church. You know why I know that? If it was perfect, it stopped being perfect the moment they called me as their pastor. But you will find people who are dedicated, who truly love each other. I saw that in such a real way last week. It just blesses my heart to see it. And when, when service is over, everybody stands around and talks to each other. Because you want to visit and talk. That's the way it should be. However God is moving on your heart this morning, please take advantage of the time. Take advantage of this gift of time He's given you. As we walk through the text, we have discovered that truly Christ is sufficient for all our needs. Nothing to be added to or taken away. He is, and we are complete in Christ. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this wonderful opportunity. Father, I pray as you continue to move among us, you speak to us, that indeed we will respond. Father, help us let go of every pretense, preconceived notion that we may have. Father, Silence the voice of the enemy. He has no business here. May your people hear your voice, the voice of truth. Comfort them with your presence. Put your mighty arms of love and peace around each one and pull them close to your side. Grant us the boldness and the courage to respond and declare Jesus, You are Lord of my life. You are Lord of this local body. And You are sufficient to meet every single need we have. We pray for all this in His name. Amen. Would you stand with me, please?